you feel like you walked into a parallel universe today? Johnny Bretzler's playing the mandolin and we have a Cub fan leading worship? Wow. Maybe 2012 is the end. Who knows? Uh, we are really, really glad that you're here. I just have to share with you a cannonball moment right up front. Uh, those of you who uh, were around in the fall, maybe you're new, you don't know this, but we just did a, a, a huge cannonball idea to think about how we could raise our generosity level to the next place so that we could go figure out what the future is all about. And for some reason, my friend Brian Rigsby, who was the campaign chair of our very first campaign we did, uh, the cannonball kind of thing that we did back in 1997, just texted me this random picture. I'm looking at some picture, people that were around 10 years ago. He texted me this random picture of the corner of 183rd and Wolf Road where we sit. This is 10 years ago this weekend. I just want to show you this picture. This is the only thing that was here 10 years ago this weekend. Those are the trusses for the gymnatorium that we built over here first, which is now just our children's ministry center. When he said that was 10 years ago tomorrow was when that picture was taken. We were exactly one-tenth the size we are as a church now 10 years ago. And God had brought, we were in meeting in Tinley Park, and God brought us this piece of property over here. 183rd was just a, a dirt road, didn't go through to LaGrange. Just 10 years. And what blows me away is that it's just 10 years. Everything that you see around you, all the ministry that you hear about that's gone on because of Parkview Christian Church, almost all of that has happened in just the last 10 years. And I just, it just, it just blows me away to think about what God can do in that amount of time. And I would just like to stop for a moment and say thank you and give him the glory and say thank you. What's amazing is it's fun to look around and make eye contact with the very few people that I see in here who were around 10 years ago. All the rest of you have come in that point in that amount of time. And before we get started, of course, it's Super Bowl weekend, so I do have my yearly Super Bowl prophecy from Scripture. Um, it's not nearly as easy this year as you would think. Um, there's no new, you know, there's no York, there's no England, there's no Patriots. It was, it was getting really difficult. But because Lonnie is a Patriots fan and my brother-in-law is from Boston and is a Patriots fan, um, I'm going to predict that the Giants are going to win, okay? <laughs> And also, also because I was a, a body tech working out the other day and this guy comes up and he introduced himself to me and turns out he goes to Parkview and he's the brother of Dave Deal, who is the left tackle for the Giants. So we have some relation to the Giants here. So here's what I could find. I couldn't do anything with the teams, um, but the quarterbacks, Eli and Tom, Eli was a prophet of God in the Old Testament. Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. Amen? Amen. And Thomas, what do we know about Thomas? Well, Thomas said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails are, I will not believe. So there you have it, okay? Super Bowl prediction 2012. Which just means if you're actually going to bet, you probably ought to bet on the Patriots because God doesn't like it when I twist scripture like this. Okay? 
We are, uh, we're, finishing, we're finishing up this series called Losing Your Religion, and uh, man, it's been a really, really good one. I encourage you to go back and catch up on the stuff you didn't get. Um, religion becomes this game that we play with God. When our faith turns into this game of do this so that God will do that, it really doesn't work very well. And what it starts to feel like, for those of you who grew up with religion in your life, it starts to feel like this dog trying to play stick. I got it. Why is that funny? Come on, mister, why won't you play with me? Isn't that great? That's what it starts to feel like to me. You know, it's, it's, this, it's this fake dead religion, and there's no God there, and nothing's going on. And I'm like, I'm trying really hard, but there's nothing happening. Why is that? It's because you're be, you, you've got a whole fake thing going on. It's religion. I'm a closet John Mayer fan, and uh, my favorite John Mayer song of all time is an old one. Some of you won't even recognize it. It's an old song called Comfortable. John Mayer writes about this new relationship he's in, and it's should be great because this girl seems really, really wonderful, but he really misses his old relationship because it was comfortable. The reason I like this song is he's not a Christian, but he calls out Christian hypocrisy in the middle of this song with a couple of brilliant lines. He's dating this new girl and he says, she says the Bible is all that she reads, prefers that I not use profanity. And he goes on and he talks about this relationship and how his friends ought to be, his, you know, she's hot and she's, you know, you ought to be happy and everything. And then there's this line, this line that gets me every time. She thinks I can't see the smile that she's faking, posing for pictures that aren't being taken. That's religion. That's hypocrisy. She thinks I can't see the smile that she's faking. She's posing for pictures that aren't being taken. That's, that's just religion. That's really all that is. It's just religion. It's the same thing that Jesus ran into way back in the beginning. He said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So Jesus chooses to hang out with the sinners and the tax collectors, which is a lower category than even sinner, and the prostitutes and the woman caught in the act of caught in the act of adultery last weekend. Okay, that's what we talked about. And he said to them, I forgive you. Right. He didn't forgive the fakers, the people who were smiling for pictures that weren't being taken. He only forgave the sinners. He said, I didn't even come for you. I came for the sinners. Why is that? Because these people don't think they need any forgiveness. Because they're playing the game and they've got accumulated points and they think that God owes them something. Have you ever been at odds with somebody and they said, you can't be forgiven for something if you didn't think you did anything, right? Have you ever been at odds with somebody and they say, well, I forgive you. And you're like, you forgive me, I forgive you, forgive you too. I mean, you start to write a song about it, right? I'm going to make fun of that song forever. You can just plan on it, okay? Well, 
Well, you can't be forgiven for something if you don't think you did anything wrong. And the problem with religion is I don't think I did anything really that wrong. I'm better than these other people. I have accumulated points, so God owes me something. In a relationship, in a real relationship, we understand that God doesn't owe me anything and I'm in a relationship with Him. Which is why 2,000 years later we still have churches and synagogues and mosques and temples full of people who are trying to play stick with a statue. And it's not working. But here's the problem. When I talk about this whole uh, relationship with Jesus instead of religion, it makes some of you very uncomfortable. Because it feels like if we're not playing the Jesus says game, and I talk about how Jesus would forgive adulterers and people that are bad like that, that what I'm going to do is leave some of you sinners with the impression that grace allows us the license to sin. That all of a sudden it's Mardi Gras every day at Parkview, you know? It's spring break. It's rum spring up for the Amish. We can go out and do whatever we want because we're freed from the law and we have grace. Well, let me just tell you again, in case you get mixed up, mixed up on this, here's what Paul said in Romans 6. Well, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Of course not. As a matter of fact, the people that actually had a relationship with Jesus, they weren't playing stick with the statue, but they had a relationship with Jesus. They were the ones who were the better people in the long run. You realize that, don't you? They were the ones who were the better people in the long run because they weren't just following the rules or playing stick with a statue. They were actually doing the relationship. And they actually gave up their life for Jesus, which was much better than tithing everything exactly and following all the letter of the law. So if you've gotten this far in this series and you're wondering if Casey and I are heretics, it's just Casey. I have news for you today. I have news for you today. Relationship actually costs more than religion. Okay? I mean, let me just again tell you, uh, let's go back to my illustration of marriage, right? You can have prenups and you can have a list of rules that the husband and the wife are supposed to do. And you could live that way for 50 years and celebrate your 50th anniversary with a complete stranger if you don't have a relationship. My favorite marriage joke is the woman who went with her husband to the doctor and, uh, and the doctor, you know, checked out her husband and he had some issues and, and he pulled the woman aside. He said, I need to talk to you. There's something going on here. So he pulls the woman aside and he says, listen, you got to understand something. Your husband has a very severe stress-related disorder and it could kill him. Okay, so here's what you're going to need to do. You're going to need to take complete care of him. You're going to need to make him breakfast every morning, make him lunch every day, make him dinner every night, make sure that he doesn't have to do any chores around the house, don't ask him to do anything, and make sure the bedroom is everything he wants it to be because we need for there not to be any stress in his life. And if you'll do that for the next 10 months or a year, he'll probably be okay. On the way home, the husband turns to the wife and says, Well, what did the doctor say? He said, you're going to die. Right? That's, 
That's what religion is like. He's like, I'm not doing that, okay? I don't care. The funny thing is, the, the truth of that joke is that we all know people in our lives, we all know people that have been married for a long time who are actually doing all of those things and more. We know people, probably every one of you knows somebody who is married or was married to someone with Alzheimer's. They don't even know who their spouse is and their spouse is still taking care of them or there's a, a, an illness or whatever as, as people age. My, my mother-in-law is going into Mayo Clinic uh, next week to, to get some stuff checked out with her back. She's got Parkinson's. She's got all kinds of stuff. And I watch my father-in-law love her and take care of her. And I see that relationship and I understand what love is. You see what I'm saying? That's a, if, if it's just about what I'll do for you, if you do for me, then there is no relationship there and you bail and you walk out. Now, here's the bottom line for this. Religion is based on rules and relationships are based on commitment. Okay, that's the simplest way I could define this. Religion is based on rules and relationships are based on commitment. So I'm in Luke 14. If you've got your Bibles, I'll, I'll let you follow along with me in Luke 14. Luke 14 is my scripture for today because large crowds were traveling with Jesus, okay? If you were around last week, last uh, summer, we talked about weird, being a weird follower of Jesus and how Jesus said that the road to, to heaven, is, the road to life is narrow and the road to destruction is wide. So here's a problem. Jesus has a lot of people following him. There's a lot of crowds around and Jesus has been, why, why? I mean, why would that be? Well, he's been preaching grace. He's been healing the sick. He's been doing all this stuff. And there are large crowds following him. And, 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 and he wants to make sure these real, really large crowds really understand what he's doing. And so do I. So he says basically this, religion is easier than relationship. Turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. You are supposed to hate your parents. Did you catch that? I'm going to call my mom and tell her I hate her. You guys get reception in here? Yeah, it's working. People thought I was making this up last night. I'm really calling my mom. This is a real phone. Can you hear? Pretty good. Hello? Good morning. Good morning. Where, where are you at? I'm at the Poudre Valley Christian Church in um, Cornville or Cottonwood, Arizona. I'm not sure which. It reminds me a little bit of Parkview. They're meeting in a, in a school and there's just everywhere. That's awesome. Well, is everybody looking at you right now because you're talking on the phone no, in the middle of church? No, no. I stood in the back of the, stood in there just starting, and I stood at the back till I got well, your phone call, and well, then tell I the, came out. Tell the Poudre Valley people we all said hi. <laughs> all right, will do. I got a question for you. When I was little, did I ever get mad at you and say, I hate you? Okay, good, because uh, Jesus, I was just reading this text, and Jesus said that I'm supposed to hate you, so that makes me a Christian. I, I feel pretty good about that. Well, I don't think that's right, you know. Um, what he was talking about was the fact that you don't, you're supposed to love God more than you love anybody, even your mom and dad. However, there's a commandment, as you well know, that says to honor your mother and father, and I taught you to... Um, Respect your elders, of which I am one. So, you better go back to school. 
Okay, Mom. Thanks very much. Don't spend too much of my inheritance out there in Arizona. I'm doing my best. Okay. Great. Bye. I hate you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Mom. So, well, what, what did Jesus mean here? My mom's right. She knows the Bible pretty well, too. Quick lesson in biblical hermeneutics. There are nuances in other languages that obviously we're not going to understand quite the same. I've told you a million times, sometimes we exaggerate, right? We have different sayings, and that's what we, that's what we got going on here. If we're to interpret Jesus, can I just say this? If we're going to interpret Jesus literally, everything that he says, we have problems. Because Jesus said, if your hand causes you to sin, you should cut it off. All right? Uh, I'm going to look like the Black Knight in Monty Python pretty soon. If that's Come back here, I'll bite your legs off, because that's just not working, okay? I think we can take some clues on this passage from Jesus saying, love your neighbor as yourself, and Jesus saying, love your enemies, and Paul saying, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and First Timothy saying, if anyone doesn't care for his own family, he's worse than an unbeliever, okay? Don't take this out of context, and Matthew's version of this might actually help us a little bit more, but then it starts to get a little muddy, and Matthew says that Jesus said, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his daughter or son more than me is not worthy of me. See, this is very serious language. It's very serious language. That's why the hate word is in there. He doesn't mean hate. Obviously, we honor, we love. What he's saying is there can't be any relationship in your life. And remember, these are Jews that he's talking to. I mean, we think family relationships are important, but you know what the Jews thought of family relationships. It was absolutely the most important thing in their life. And Jesus says, make sure there are no relationships in your life. So there is nothing possibly in the way of you following me. That's why relationship is more serious than religion. Again, large crowds are following Jesus. Why would they be doing that? Well, he has the habit of handing out food, right? Hey, I'm hungry. Let's go see if Jesus has fish sandwiches. He's making sick people well and the blind people see and all these people are coming around crazy stuff taught like nobody had ever heard taught before and people are coming around listening to him. And and I wonder at this point if you could peel back the layers, if you could find some similar things going on here. Why do 6,000 plus people gather on the weekends in Lockport and Orland to come and hang out? Services make us feel good. We like the music. Preaching's awesome, unless Casey's preaching. <laughs> Two words, free coffee. Two words for you parents, child care. Am I right? Huh? You're like, I don't care if you get up and quote the Gettysburg Address as long as I get away from them for an hour. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but Jesus is like, hang on a second. I want to make sure you know what you're getting into. So he takes the single most important thing in our lives, which is family. And he says, you need to make sure that they are not a priority above me. And then he goes on and he says, if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. You've got to be willing to die for the cause. Okay. And disciples, a good word too. Can we talk about that? There's only three times in the Bible where Jesus mentioned or anybody mentions the word Christian three times. 269 times it mentions the word disciple. We're not called to be Christians. We're called to be disciples. What is a disciple? A follower, an apprentice, somebody who is studying to be like the master. 
Jesus doesn't want to date you. He wants the permanence of a marriage relationship. He doesn't just want to be one of the options in your life. He wants to be the Lord of your life. He doesn't want you to be attracted to him. He wants you to be attached to him. He goes on in this Matthew passage and says some other crazy stuff that's kind of hard to understand. As we go on in Matthew 10, he says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on the earth. Wait a minute. I thought you said you came to be the Prince of Peace. I thought you brought peace on the earth. He said, don't suppose that I've come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to turn, a, quote, a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Well, that's not hard. A man's enemies, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. What is he saying there? What he's, what he's saying, that, that, that's a quote of an Old Testament prophecy from Micah, the, the whole thing about turning against. He's not saying, I came to bring a sword and I want you to take up a sword and carve up your family. He's saying, what is going to happen as the result of me is that some of your family relationships are not going to work out very well. Because if you put me first, if you follow me, if you're a religious your family's not going to, that's not going to be a problem. But if you have a relationship with Jesus, your family may not even respond well. Watch this video testimony from a man who grew up Muslim. I actually grew up not too far from here. I grew up in Iran. And in 1979, I saw religion destroy my country. Religion gone wrong cost the lives of over a million people in Iran. My dad was a religious man, but not too devout. But he was also a military man. And so when the Iranian revolution happened, we escaped religion. We had to get out of Iran because the government was overthrown by Ayatollah Khomeini and his zealots. So when we escaped and we came to America as refugees, basically, we came, and in my mind as a little boy, we were escaping religion and God's representation. And so for years and years in America, I wanted to have nothing to do with anything that had a cross, a crescent, or a star, or anything on it. Well, one day, a buddy of mine invited me to go to church with him. Now, he wasn't really a devout Christian. He was just hanging out with me, and he invited me to church. And this was after high school. And I told him, I said, look, I, I don't want to go to church. I hate religion. I told him all the reasons. I told him how it had destroyed my country. But my buddy said, no, 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 no. This is a Muslim stuff, man. This is Christian stuff. And I'd seen Christianity on TV, honestly. I'd seen people with big hair sitting in a golden chair, you know, saying, Jesus loves you, show me the money or whatever. And so I told him all the reasons I didn't want to go to church. And instead of giving up, he ends up giving me the name of five of the hottest girls from our school. And he says, look, they all go to my church. And so I felt motivated to go visit. And I've got to admit, I went for the wrong reason the first time I ever went. But when I went there, I saw not religion, but grace. I saw real people, not religious people, not people who acted really cleaned up, but just forgiven people who were dealing with everyday life stuff, but there was something different about them. The grace of God had made them gracious, had made them graceful. And every Monday, these people would come and visit me. They had this thing called visitation. And I'm telling you, every time they came over, all they talked about was Jesus Christ. They didn't talk about all the things I was doing wrong. Instead, they kept telling me about all the things that Jesus had done right. And Jesus, to me, was a religious figure. And so I kept telling them, I don't want to have anything to do with religion. And they would say, we don't either. This isn't about religion. This is about Jesus. Well, one night, I went to their church. They dragged me there. And when I was there, I heard this preacher preach. We're talking about an old-school Southern Baptist preacher. Guy with a comb over. And he's like, come on down. We'll condemn you and the kids. You're going frying the head like a piece of sausage, you know. And, and he was passionate. But when you're lost, you don't see it as passion. You see it as anger. 
I remember thinking, man, if the gospel is such good news, why is this guy so mad? But I didn't realize he just believed enough in what he knew to be the truth that he wanted me to hear it. And that night I felt convicted because he was telling me the truth. But when you're lost, you don't see it as conviction. You really see it as a guilt trip. So during the invitation, while other people were going forward, I hit the aisle and I went the other way to get away from church. Well, I went home and I realized something, that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's not just contained in little church buildings. And when I got there, God continued to convict me. I eventually opened up a Bible in my room really late at night. I was home all by myself that night and started to read. And I read a story about a man named Peter who on a stormy night was called out by Jesus to step out of a boat. That Bible all of a sudden jumped out at me. In an instant, God said, David, I want you to step out and I want you to trust me. Just as Jesus was saying to Peter, come, he was saying to me, come. I just hit one knee and I said, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know you're the only hope that I have for cleansing. I know you're the only hope I have for salvation. I offer all of myself to you. I submit my life to you. And everything changed that night. That night, the old me died and a whole new me was born again. But I realized that moment was this, that Christianity is not about bad people becoming good. That's religion. Christianity is about dead people becoming alive in Christ. The night that I became a Christian, my parents hit the roof. When they found out that I'd given my life to Jesus, my dad became very devout as a Muslim instantly. He was like, you can't be a Christian, we're Muslims. And I was like, we are? We've never been really that devout. But then he thought, you know what, it's just the stage in David's life. He's got a tennis racket because he wanted to be Andre Agassi. He's got a guitar and all the guitar lessons never panned out. He's done all these different things. He's got a surfboard even though we live four hours away from any body of water. Let him just have a Bible and he'll get over religion. But they didn't realize that when you give your life to Jesus, when you really do that, it's not like a cold, a Christian cold that you catch and it goes away. It's a whole new you. And the night that I went to get baptized at my church, I got kicked out of the house for my faith. But within five years, the same parents that kicked me out of the house, one by one, my entire family, not just my mom, not just my dad, but my sister and my brother, had come to know Christ as their Savior. Yeah. Yeah. I think if I would have been in that crowd that day and Jesus said, do you think I've come to bring peace? I would have said, yeah, peace. And then I would have been really embarrassed. Because the truth of the matter is, he came to bring us peace, but he came to bring us spiritual peace. And the problem with the social peace that may not happen in your family, may not happen in your life, is the fact that Jesus came to bring a completely different message, and his completely different message was, you're not good enough. The good news has to be preceded by bad news, and the bad news is, you're a sinner, and you're not that good. And you need me to save you. And not everybody wants to listen to that. There's something in our spirit, there's something in our soul that is rattled by the whole realization that we're not really good enough. This is why the sinners loved Jesus and the smile fakers killed him. Because his message was different. It was foolishness, Paul says, to some, the message of the cross. So when Jesus stands on the hill overlooking on the Mount of Olives and overlooks Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he says, Jerusalem, if you, could only, if you only knew what would bring you peace, but it's hidden from your eyes, you're not going to accept my peace. 
He says, this relationship is not going to be easy for you. It's going to cost you everything. He says right at the end, right before he goes back in John chapter 14, he says, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give it as the world gives. You will have peace, but it's not worldly peace. Because what you've got to do is take up my cross, Jesus said. Take up my cross and follow me. That would be like us wearing an electric chair around our neck. I know we think it's cool. I'm going to get you know, a cross tattoo one of these days. We all think it's awesome to have a cross hanging around our neck or whatever it is. I love all that cross stuff. But do you realize it's, a, it's an instrument of torture and death? I mean, when you wear that thing around, when you got it on your shirt, when you got it, whatever you got going on, you got to realize this is a commitment. It's not a religion. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 3, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live in faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. See, here's the deal. The Bible says five times in the Gospels, Jesus says, believe me. 20 times in the Gospels, he says, follow me. Which brings me back to the relationship, okay? In a relationship, it's about the cause. It's about us working together, right? Nobody goes into war because they get paid. You go into war because you believe in a cause. There's a, such a difference between it when we figure these things out. I was on a plane back with a Parkview person recently who had just been at a leadership training seminar, and he said the whole thing was about the emotional why. I've never heard that phrase before, but I loved it. He said if you're going to get somebody to buy your product or if you're going to motivate your, your team or you're going to motivate your employees or whatever, you're, you're gonna, you can have a list of rules all day long, and you you could tell them all the good reasons one way or another, but until you get to the emotional why, nothing will ever change. And I thought, well, that's exactly what we're talking about here, isn't it? We've got to figure out the emotional why, because I can give you the list of rules and regulations, and you can tithe this, and you can pray this, and you can say this many of these things, and you can do all those things, and it will never feel like you have the emotional why. Until you have the emotional why, you're never going to give up control in your life. That's just the way it works. So I left the three chairs back up here again this weekend. I don't know if you noticed. I just wanted you to have them in the background. If you weren't here, uh, January 7th and 8th weekend, I preached about these three chairs. The chair of complacency, the chair of compromise, the chair of commitment. The chair of complacency doesn't want to have anything to do with God. I run my own life. I'm on my throne. The chair of commitment is, Jesus, I give you my life. You can, you can sit here. I will sit in this chair with you, and, and, and that means I'm going to commit myself to you completely. And this was the chair of religion, if you remember this sermon. Because if I feel like being in the God stuff, I'll do it. And if I feel like not being in the God stuff, I'll do it. It's light. It's easy to pick up and move wherever I want to go. Religion is about rules. Relationship is about commitment. So here's the reality. If you're new to Parkview and you're wondering, well, I wonder what Parkview, uh, you know, I wonder what kind of rules Parkview has. We only have one. It's really very simple. One rule. You think you can do this? There's only one rule because Jesus had people come to him one day and they said, Jesus, what's the rule? He said, there's only one rule. The rule is love. That's the only rule we have. Jesus said that that love rule has two parts. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. 
and love your neighbor as yourself. That's our only rule. You mean I can do this? I can do that? That's our only rule. But if you think about it for a minute, it starts to make everything else kind of pale in comparison, doesn't it? What does your marriage look like if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? You know, what does parenting look like for you? How do you raise your kids if you're going to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? How do you treat your neighbor next door if you're going to love your neighbor as yourself or your cousin or somebody else? If you love God first and you love your neighbor as yourself, it changes everything and it gives you the emotional why. Because losing our religion is about finding an ultimate relationship with Jesus. And that sounds all Hallmark cardish to you for a while until you really let it sink in. And then it just becomes this big piece of dynamite that blows up everything and permeates everything in your life. If Jesus was here right now, he'd say, hey, listen, Parkview. I love that you come here. I love that you love me and you like to sing and you come a couple times a month and, and your kids are getting taught and, and all that kind of stuff. But do you understand the point? Unless I'm first place in your life, this isn't working. Unless you completely trust me and have confidence in me, this isn't working. So I'm going to ask you the same thing, Parkview, as I asked my people those very first days when I was with them. Will you take up your cross and follow me? I started off with that picture of Parkview 10 years ago. I thought that was pretty cool um, to think about the last 10 years and what those 10 years have meant. Then I started to think, I wonder what Parkview is going to be like 10 years from now. I wonder what it's going to be like when we're all 10 years later. I mean, I'll, I, you know, unless I'm playing for the Bulls, I'm going to be here 10 years from now. And we're all going to be, a lot of us are going to be hanging around and we're going to wonder what kind of a church this is. Don't, doesn't that make you wonder? I love looking back, but I, I want to think about forward. Because here's the problem. The bigger we get and the, and the longer we do this, the more easy it is for us to fall into what Andy Stanley called the gravitational pull of becoming a religion instead of a relationship all over again. And I can't let that happen. And you can't let that happen. As a lot of you know, at least you guys know, um, one of our favorite sports guys fell off the wagon this week. Josh Hamilton went into a bar and had drinks. I've uh, become friends with his agent, Scotty Sanderson, and he's working with him, and everything's fine, and it's all good. Um, we don't know that anything, we don't know that his sin even happened. By, you can go into a bar and drink and not commit sin, um, but because he's an alcoholic and because of his past, the whole world knows that Josh fell off the wagon. Um, so, Josh, if you get to listen to this, we're sorry for you, Katie, we're praying for you, and... Um, we fell off the wagon this week too. Every one of us. Every one of us in this room committed sin. Am I right? I mean, I did. Maybe you guys are all good, but I, I know I did. I'm not telling you about it, but I know I did. Um, I broke laws. I did things I wasn't supposed to do. I said things I shouldn't have said. I had attitudes that I shouldn't have had. And I'm not excusing uh, Josh for what he did because it's 
really a dumb idea to go into a bar if you're an alcoholic, okay? What I'm saying is religion is based on do. Relationship, Christianity is based on done, and that's the beauty of it. Yeah, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you everything. But once you're in, you're in. Jesus said, no one can snatch them out of my hand. So, Josh, if you get traded to the White Sox, we hope that you'll come to Parkview. And we'll help you. And we'll all be sinners together. And we'll be real. No more smiling for pictures that aren't being taken. We're just going to be real. That's what communion is all about. It's not about being worthy. It's about understanding that I'm not worthy. It's not about being good. It's about understanding that I'm not good. It's about being forgiven. So we're going to pass these trays across. There's bread in the bottom cup, juice in the top cup. I invite you to take the cups out as they come by, pass them on their way. Take something with you from this day. It's been a lot of stuff to think about. And spend a moment understanding that you're not worthy. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray for Josh and Katie and um, fall out from this. And uh, everybody in here who's an addict understands what it's like to fall off the wagon and start over with day one again. And I pray that you'll be with uh, him as he, he does that and, and be with all the rest of the world to understand that there were thousands of other Major League Baseball players in bars that night also. And um, sometimes we don't always do the things that we were supposed to do. And I didn't and we don't. And so we pray that we will just understand that none of us are worthy. And as we sit in this chair of commitment, it is a heart decision that we make. But following the rules is not what gets us in this chair. Our relationship with you does. Lord, if there are people in this room who have never decided to sit in this chair, they've never decided to make a commitment to you and actually follow you, maybe they've believed in you, maybe they've uh, grown up in a religious background, I I pray that maybe they will understand right now that all they need to do, it's very, very simple, all they need to do is follow one rule. All they need to do is say, okay, Lord, I love you. Jesus, I will follow you. I will be your disciple. I will take up my cross and I will follow you. That's what I'm going to do. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I accept your forgiveness in my life. I admit that you need to forgive me and I accept your forgiveness. For the rest of us, Lord, we're just thankful that we have it. We're thankful that religion is the due part. and We're not religious anymore. We're about Christianity. We're about discipleship. We're about a relationship. And when you said it is finished, you really meant it. I pray for Parkview, Lord, that 10 years from now, 100 years from now, it's not Westminster Cathedral, not some shrine that people come in and walk around and have concerts or or do other things besides worship you. We pray that the corner of 183rd and Wolf Road and whatever else it is you bring our way is a disciple-making, evangelistic-oriented organization of thousands of people who have decided to follow you. Hear our prayer, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You don't have to be from Parkview to commune with us now. We welcome all believers.